Well, welcome again. A few years ago, I, I somehow convinced Brian to help me move a couch that someone was giving us, and we wanted to give it to our kids, one of our kids, and bless them. In fairness, if my memory serves me correctly, I don't think, I think I did warn Brian that it was a sofa sleeper couch, if you've ever moved one of those. I don't think I told him that it would have to go down four flights of stairs and turn a lot of corners. People lived in a really tall townhouse. Well, Brian and I got there, and we gave it a try. I mean, we really tried hard, too. We lifted the sofa. We started the journey down the stairs. I think we made it one flight. There are a couple of bumps and here and there. And, but when we got to the first corner, I knew we were in trouble because really the only way to get the sofa sleeper down the rest of the flights of stairs was to lift it over uh, the banister. And we gave it a shot. I mean, this sofa was so heavy. As soon as I lifted it, it caused a, a tintinabulation, which is a fancy word for a ringing in the ears. We tried brute force, scuffed up the wall, scuffed up a few stairs. We grunted and we groaned. Brian, bless his heart, didn't say a word. And I'm not sure if I wanted to hear what he was thinking. Well, anyway, after a few more attempts, I finally looked at Brian and I said, we're not going to get this, are we? He said, nope. And that was it. I think it's, honestly, I think it's the first time I've never been able to move a piece of furniture uh, out uh, of a house. Well, eventually, a few days later, uh, some professional movers did move it down to the, uh, to the ground floor. We, we came back, we put it on the truck, and moved it into our daughter's place, uh, which, is, which it landed on the first floor of her place, which was great. We tried, and we failed, right? We didn't have the power to move the couch. Well, today we continue our series, A Beautiful Life, Jesus, and we're taking a look at a time when the disciples of Jesus didn't have the power to do what they needed to do. They had a heavy lift of sorts, and they just didn't have the spiritual muscle required to get the job done. Let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 Verses 14 through 29, uh, the story, the text will be on the screen behind me, on your screen at home, uh, as uh, well as uh, in your Bibles. It reads like this, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible 
for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me um, overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is the word of God for the people of God. This is one of those passages from Scripture where if you're not careful, you can, as they say in journalism, bury the lead. We read this incredible story, and understandably, understandably, we gravitate toward the direction of the fireworks with Jesus healing the man's son, of an evil spirit. And we ask questions like, you know, what really are evil spirits? Did they really exist? Or is this how the ancient world explained medical conditions like epilepsy and the like? Are there healings of evil spirits even today? Interesting questions, no doubt. And good for a conversation in another setting. I don't think we have to look very far in our world to see the proof that evil exists, and it is a force that cannot be dealt with in our own natural strength. Evil, it seems, throughout history can only be combated with spiritual resources and spiritual strength. And Jesus dealt routinely with the reality of the evil one and his minions. But to focus our application on the evil spirit would be to miss the teaching of the text. The teaching that the text is pushing to the forefront is what it means either to have a life-changing faith filled with power or a faith that is powerless. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I'd like us to look at, at faith's foil. I'd like us to look at a flicker of faith and then the fuel of faith, faith's foil. In this text before this, Jesus had this incredible mountaintop experience known as the transfiguration. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, let me encourage you to go online. It was on the mountain that Peter and James and John, they saw Jesus in all of his glory. And it was on the mountain that they heard the voice of God in the clouds affirming Jesus' identity and his mission. So now they're heading down the mountain and they wade into just a mess the rest of the disciples are in a kerfuffle with the religious leaders. Jesus asked them what they were arguing about. And we don't know exactly, but what we do know is that a man stepped up and he told Jesus that he had brought his sons to the disciples to be healed of an evil spirit, but the disciples had been unable to deal with the demon. We read in Mark 6 that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two and they did amazing things. They healed people. They drove out demons. So maybe the religious leaders were taunting them for not being able to heal this man's son. How does Jesus respond? He doesn't get into a debate about demons. He talks about faith. He essentially said they were an unbelieving generation. And he said, bring the boy to me. Later in the text when Jesus got the disciples inside, they asked him, why couldn't we 
drive it out? Why couldn't we drive it out? And here we find the challenging foil to faith. The disciples, well-intentioned as they may have been, they were trying to heal the boy in their own strength and in their own power. Why couldn't we do this? They had fallen into the trap of believing that the gifts that Jesus had given them to serve and to minister were under their control and able to use at their disposal. One scholar wrote, this attitude springs from a subtle form of unbelief where one's success, when, where one has success, it encourages trust in oneself and one's technique rather than God. Faith is powerless when you trust in your abilities and your success rather than God's. It is when you take matters in your own hands rather than releasing a challenging situation into the hands of God. And this subtle form of unbelief is like a disease that has no warning signs. It becomes evident when genuine faith is needed and when we're facing a serious life challenge. We could simply call this foil to faith self-reliance. Self-reliance, which is the exact opposite of living a faith-forward life. Now, what are some of the warning signs of self-reliance rather than living a faith-forward life? Well, one sign is the faith journey becomes focused on self rather than the mission and the nature and the glory and the wonder of God. Worship becomes self-focused rather than God-focused. One looks to Scripture to confirm long-held beliefs rather than allowing Scripture to challenge and to stretch and to shape values and convictions. Generosity becomes more about what you can afford to let go of rather than the joy of releasing God's gifts into the hands of God. Another sign is the faith journey becomes focused on the past. No doubt the disciples tried to heal the boy in the same way they had healed others. But God was presenting them with a new day and a new challenge and a new need. A vibrant faith is willing to trust God to take you into circumstances and situations where you've never been before. Self-reliance leads us to inherently hold on to life as we know it. It even makes us hold on to the past. It leads more to preservation. It leads more to conservation. It leads to a life of risk management. A faith-forward life leans into the unknown, clinging to the one who knows the future and is just there bidding you to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Self-reliance says we've never done it that way before. Faith forward thinking says, God, I trust you. And even if I fail, I know you'll pick me up. Another sign is that self-reliance leads to losing sight of others. I'm really struck by how this story opens, right? Go there in your mind for a second. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they come down the mountain, this incredible moment, and there the disciples are just arguing with the teachers of the law. And right in their midst, I mean, right there, was this man who, whose son 
was absolutely suffering. This man, this desperate father who wanted his boy healed. How can religious people be arguing among themselves when hurting people are all around? Is that hard to imagine? I don't think so. One of the great struggles that those outside the church have with the church is that we seem to have a lot of inside, internal, self-focused debates while the world around us is hurting and in need of healing. That is the height of self-reliant, selfish thinking. The text says the man brought his boy to Jesus. The world does not bring themselves to the church for the church's struggles and the church's debates and the church's division. The world wants to bring themselves to the feet of Jesus. They could care less about some of our internal debates. So those are just a few signs of self-reliance, right? So let me ask you a gentle question. What is your faith posture today, this morning? Do you consider it more on the self-reliant side or the faith-forward side? In your message notes, that's, uh, in your handout, we gave you that little graph there. I, Michael, will that graph come up on this? Just so, or you can draw it yourself. It, it, I wasn't an artist when I submitted that, by the way. But you can just put a, 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 a dot there. Where are you? Self-reliant, leaning on self, or faith-forward, leaning into God? The foil of faith is self Reliance. Let's take a look at a flicker of faith, though. The dialogue with Jesus and the boy's father is heart-wrenching and is so compelling. Jesus tells them, bring the boy to me, he says. And as soon as he is in the presence of Jesus, the text says the evil spirit caused the boy to go into convulsion on the ground. and began foaming at the mouth. Then Jesus asked the father, how long has he been that way? And the father replied, and I can just imagine the father choking back tears from childhood. And that it often tried to throw him into fire or throw him into water to kill him. Can you go there for a moment? I wonder if and how many times this father may have had to pull his son out of the fire to keep him from dying. I wonder if and how many this father had to jump into a lake or a river to save his boy. This man is so desperate. He says to Jesus, if you can, please have pity on us and help us. Slight sidebar for a moment if you want to underline the word us. Jesus not only cared about the affliction of the boy, he cared about the hurt and the pain that the parents were going through. If you've ever cared for a loved one, a friend, a child, a parent who has a serious illness or a serious condition, you know the pain is real and you know the healing doesn't need just to be for the person afflicted but for the us. The healing needs to be not just for the one suffering but those who love the one who is suffering and giving the care. Jesus then remarks, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. To which the man replied with a prayer that has been uttered down 
through the centuries by all who've had a flickering faith. My hunch is we've all whispered this prayer a time or two in life. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus honored even the smallest flicker of faith in the man. And he healed his son permanently. He healed him permanently. Now what can we take away from this compelling exchange? Well, first of all, the Father's plea reminds us that there's a tension between faith and unfaith. One scholar wrote, and I couldn't agree more, we need divine help and we need to ask God to give us faith. And if we ask God, God will give us faith. We have to be honest, vulnerable, and humble before God, just like the man was. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Jesus said everything is possible for one who believes. This does not mean that faith will accomplish anything in your life. You and I know too many people who have asked for healing in faith only not to receive it, to know that this is true. Faith is not like a magic incantation that we conjure up to do our bidding. What this statement by Jesus means, that if we have faith, we will set no limits on the power of God. If we have faith, we will set no limits on the power of God, and we believe that God will do anything according to his sovereign plan and sovereign will. What can we take from this passage? One of the great old pastors from the 20th century, D.L. Moody, describes three types of faith using a swimming or boating analogy. He says there's struggling faith, and that's a person who is in deep waters desperately trying to swim. That's a struggling faith. You're, you're staying just barely above water, long enough to breathe. Then there's a clinging faith, a person hanging on to the side of a boat. And then there's a resting faith, a person safely within the boat and able to reach out and help others get in. The reality is we all at times may move in between those three types of faith depending on the challenge that we're facing. In a previous congregation that I served, a couple experienced every parent's nightmare. Their child was killed in an automobile accident. And in the days and the weeks after the accident, of course they were in shock and had so many questions. And all those who attended to them, good friends, all those who attended them went between, you could just watch it, between the struggling and this clinging faith. But over time, over time, I saw these parents move to a resting faith. No, the pain didn't go away, but their faith got to a point where they were helping others who were in these types of situations. They were pulling others into the boat to help them. Gentle question this morning. How would you label your faith today? Struggling? Reaching for the life preserver? clinging there on the side of the boat or resting in the boat, ready to pull others in. If you're struggling or cleaning, clinging, whisper the prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. If you have a resting faith, commit your journey to helping others deepen their faith and strengthen their faith. 
Well, let's look at the fuel of faith. Back to our story. Jesus heals the boy and then goes inside. His disciples follow him inside and they ask, why couldn't we heal him? I love the NIV translation of this answer. Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. When I read that, it's almost like there are different levels of demon. Maybe a dollar store demon could come out if you didn't pray. I don't know, but it, just, it seems like, hey, this is a tough one. You got to pray, boys. But notice what Jesus said here. This kind can only come out by prayer. But Jesus didn't pray. He didn't pray before he healed the boy. The text says he reached down and he raised him. The language is the same language that Mark uses to describe the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus didn't offer a prayer before he healed him, but said only this kind come, come out with prayer. So what does Jesus mean? He means a life of enduring prayer. He's not referring to just the saying the right words in the right way, like a, a formula. What he's saying here is he means a life that is marked by a constant connection with God. Another scholar wrote, a life of prayer goes hand in hand with effective service. It makes one receptive to the action of God. One cannot get ready for the moment by quickly uttering a special prayer. One has to be ready through a powerful life when the moment comes. Enduring prayer, connectivity with God, is the fuel of faith. It is what fueled his life, and it is what will put you on the path to faith-forward living. So hear the invitation of Jesus today to believe. Hear his invitation to you today to believe. Walk away from those moments or even seasons of self-reliance and place your trust in him. Do you have a, a flicker of faith today? Ask him for divine help to overcome those moments of unbelief. Are you struggling or clinging? Ask him for resting faith for whatever comes your way. Commit to a life of enduring prayer. Amen? Let's pray in faith together. God, we thank you so much for the way that you teach us in your word. And Lord, today we know that, that faith is indeed a divine gift. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith this morning. Lord, for those who are clinging and those who are struggling, Lord, I pray that they would whisper this prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. And I pray, Lord, that you would give moments, that you would give nudges, that you would give, Father, reveal yourself to them in a stronger way so that faith can be made stronger today. Lord, we also know that sometimes our faith doesn't grow stronger without taking risk and without letting go of our own self-reliance and taking your hand to go into the unknown where we've never been before as you call us there. Lord, I pray that you would use these moments to strengthen our faith. Lord, I pray for the hurting world around us so desperately in need of healing like this man's son. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a congregation, help uh, Lord, the churches in our city, churches in our state and around the nation and the world, Lord, to think and to remember 
that there's a hurting world around and that if we have faith to follow you, faith to listen to you, faith to obey you, that you will lead us and use us as your instruments of mercy and grace and healing. God, we trust you today. Strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to conclude our service this morning by um, singing uh, another song. Uh, Brian and Amy will lead us. Then uh, Brian uh, Hoysel will come up and share uh, a few closing words, after which, if you would like uh, to have prayer or if you would like to, to talk with someone about your faith and commitment that you would like to make, uh, Brian will meet you at the cross right over here to my right, uh, to your left, uh, after our service. Let's stand together and sing.